Super Talk Mississippi media production. Specializing in Ford, Nissan, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Rams. CorinthAutoGroup.com and FordOfCorinth.com, where cars and happy drivers meet. Visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week. And there is a strange, bright object overhead in the sky. There, Rhino. What the heck is that thing? That weird glowing orb thing. <laughs> it's oddly warm. Yes. Well little different than uh, last week, uh, for sure. So we're all settled in here and ready to get going this week. We've got Senator Josh Harkins, the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, in the Element Well studio next at 1020. And then we'll be visiting with the CEO and president of Intergy Mississippi, Haley Vizakerly. He'll be in the studio discussing the big old... Amazon Web Services Project, which was announced last week, Intergy played a key role in securing this historic win for the state of Mississippi. And we look forward to those conversations today. The legislature is scheduled to get back to business in a regular session later on this afternoon. And a lot of stuff happening uh, on the national scene as well. We had, you probably know by now, some drones attack U.S. troops, killing three. This was in uh, Jordan, killing three, 34 injured, other members evacuated. Bit of an escalation. What is the president going to do? Nobody knows at this point. He's been kind of mum on the matter that I've seen. I haven't seen anything definitive, but clearly this appears to be, to me, to be an act of war. Uh, I'm curious as to how this thing got through the way it did and was able to attack our forces. That's, That's disturbing in its own right, but what sort of response might we see from the U.S.? And you know this for sure, the rest of the world is watching. They're watching to see exactly what this country is going to do. They're waiting to see how Joe Biden will react. And at this point, 
I don't know. He just hadn't said a lot. He was in South Carolina over the weekend mumbling, best I could tell, and once again spewing untruths about the economy. Of course, what else is new, right? That's that's pretty par for the course, as they say, but he's not making a lot of sense anywhere he goes and tends to mumble and speak incoherently, and that is what happened again. At this point, it looks like he's going to be the nominee, but there, there are a lot of people who feel like he might not be, and they could be right. But I, I don't, barring some sort of health issue at this point, I'd see he their man. So, we'll see what's going to happen there. Iran-backed militias once again killing three troops. And this was, of course, just a couple of weeks after Biden said that Tehran, which of course is funding this, orchestrating this, they understood they better not do anything. Yeah, so they they go right at the juggernaut and, I guess, take kind of the most egregious action and killing our troops and injuring others. I mean, that's all an attack on our military. So, here we go. What's going to happen there? Lots of other stuff going on as well in the United States. Now we know, by the way, Rhino, you know, there's been lots of discussion uh, since Joe Biden assumed office as the president in 2021. Of who exactly is behind the scenes running the show? Now we know. Yes, sir, it has been revealed. It's TikTok activists. They are oh, the ones. Boy, <laughs> they are the ones who have persuaded the Biden administration to halt permits for new LNG liquefied natural gas export projects. Now there are Democrats who still say that Joe Biden never said that he was going to end the use of fossil fuels. But there are numerous videos that refute that directly, blatantly. Here's what the president said about this halting of new LNG approvals. This pause on new LNG approvals sees the climate crisis for what it is, the existential threat of our time. We will heed the calls of young people, that's the TikTok influencers to which he is referring, and frontline communities who are using their voices to demand action from those with power to act. Yeah, we're talking about TikTok here, by the way. TikTok. And is it not hypocritical because are they not among uh, his administration, those who were calling for the banning of the application? I believe so because of its Chinese CCP ties. And didn't he campaign in 2020? Think back, folks. Do you remember this? We need Joe Biden. He's the adult in the room. You mean the adult in the room who's making critical decisions which have global impact based on consumption of TikTok videos? That's the adult in the room. 
They're dictating U.S. policy. So there you go. That's who it is that's running the show. Unbelievable. I don't think it's the Biden administration that wants to ban TikTok, because they're the ones that had the symposium for TikTok and social media influencers to come in and get training on what to say. Okay. Well, I, that's right. In fact, they've hired some, right? I, I think there is some... There's a bit of a split within that party. I have seen some Democrats come out and voice their concerns. Maybe it's not Biden in the administration uh, specifically. And then we got this border deal. That's gotten all kinds of attention over the weekend because we have a number of states now that are standing with Governor Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas. Yeah, that Friday deadline Biden set didn't mean a whole Heck of a lot. It did not. But we have a bit of a standoff between the state of Texas and the United States federal government. Some are calling for the president to federalize the Texas National Guard. And by the way, it's being reported, at least by Texas officials, that the Border Patrol folks are on board with Governor Greg Abbott's actions. They see how ridiculous it is that migrants are pouring across the border and just being released, that others are coming in, that so-called gotaways and aren't even being apprehended. So the governor says this is self-defense. Um, and I think he's right, but there are now 26 governors Republican governors that have voiced their support, indicated their support, signed off on a resolution, including Governor Tate Reeves, the lone Republican governor that did not join in that resolution, didn't sign it, Governor Phil Scott of Vermont. How in the world did they get a Republican governor? What kind of Republican would Mr. Scott be in the great state of Vermont? Isn't that the state that gives us Bunny Sanders? I think so. So that seems to be at odds. But big old problem down there at the border now. The Senate is hashing out a bill, so-called bipartisan legislation, that would uh, address the border situation, and there's lots of consternation about that. Biden says, I just need the GOP to help me out. Of course, what he's talking about is more money for processing and housing and detention. Uh, now, you got senators, Republican senators, that are on different sides of this argument. We'll get to it later on in the program. Senator Lankford from Oklahoma kind of leading the charge on this bipartisan legislation. Yeah, I'm not sure about it, honestly. I, I don't know. And I don't understand why we have to give anything to Ukraine to simply secure the border. That just seems insane to me. We're coming right back with Senator Josh Harkins. Please stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
When lights close the tired Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. It's a Monday here. We're in the Alamutwell studio. We welcome uh, to the program now Mississippi Senator Josh Harkins, represents District 20. That's Rankin County. Serves as the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. That means it is his job to make sure we got enough money coming in to run the place in yep. general. Senator, uh, I know I talked to you late last week, and you were headed to Starkville to uh, watch the basketball game. Yeah, man, that's a pretty good game. State played well. It was some good basketball this weekend. Yeah, Ole Miss on Everybody. the road. Yeah. yeah, really good stuff. So. Auburn's good. Taking down a ranked opponent like that is a big old deal. So um, I know that was a lot of fun. But all right, we're back in session, regular session this yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't foresee any uh, special sessions this week. So we'll get back to uh, uh, the regular session, and uh, we got a couple weeks for the deadline for bill filing. So uh, you're you're probably pick back up on a lot of hearings uh, that are customary this time of the of the session. So. We'll, uh, I know we'll have a couple of hearings coming up in the Finance Committee um, maybe later this week and, and next week. So just getting kind of geared up to start taking on uh, legislation. Bills are being referred, still being dropped. they got a lot of time for bills to be filed. So we'll, we'll just uh, kind of steady as she goes right now. Well, let's talk about, uh, of course, the, the special sessions. Uh, two big back-to-back in as many weeks gigantic uh, economic development projects announced uh, by Governor Tate Reeves. I mean, wow. Unprecedented. What a, what a month for him. And considering where he was four years ago, the month he was having in January. Yeah, that's four right. Four years ago, there were floods, floods tornadoes. <laughs> COVID. Uh, you know, we're about to have COVID uh, fall yeah. upon us. So um, he, yeah, I told him the other day, the good Lord had a, has a sense of humor. He's throwing him a bone <laughs> for the for the January he received four years ago. But look, it's it's a great uh it's been a great two weeks. Um I think that his team has has been really busy for these both to fall kind of simultaneously for all intents and purposes. It's um you know it's a lot of work and a lot of uh a lot of negotiating up to the last minute uh on on both projects and uh happy that we got uh, both of these across the finish line on the legislative side. Yeah. And I was proud of the legislature for uh, taking care of uh, the measures necessary to approve these deals in short order. And, yeah. and the governor made that point uh, when the Marshall County project was announced. That he, I think he said, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, anybody that's ever worked in this building knows that uh, it's pretty unusual to have something get passed by both chambers in such a short amount of time. But I think the good news is is that our legislators understand how critical it is that we continue to scale Mississippi's economy, that that addresses uh, so many of our needs. It does. And it, it's the, you know, providing bigger, better paying jobs for our citizens is is a is a one of the major goals of I think most all legislators. I mean that's what we we strive for is to provide opportunity for our citizens and for upper mobility to you know, they may be in a job right now that, you know, I'm they're doing okay in, but there comes along an opportunity that they can step up and and get a better paying job and a higher paying job and an opportunity for their family. Uh, it's it's generational change that is an opportunity uh, that's before us, and um, anything that we can do to provide those better paying jobs for our citizens uh, when they come along, we uh, that's what we strive to do. Yeah, 
Well, it's good news, no doubt about it. Uh, It's it's a great day to be in Mississippi, I dare say. Uh, I think there's more coming, honestly. I think the world is taking note that Mississippi is a great place to invest. And I think, uh, and I know you're already aware of this, the phone's already ringing a little bit, as you know. So yeah, it's it's a good position to be in. But I think, um, and that goes to the hard work of uh, our MDA uh, folks over there, our friends at MDA and the governor, and um, going out trying to to make sure one they vet these projects, they vet the 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 vendor that's going to be coming. Um, they do a lot of homework. They there's a lot of work that goes into it. these things. Don't happen overnight. I mean, I think. Uh, Project Atlas, it was four, five, six years in the making. Uh, the project up in Marshall County, there have been several projects that had come before that we were the final two choices, uh, and it got down to whether we'd match another state, and uh, the governor uh, was prudent and didn't do it, um, wasn't going to overextend us, and, and uh, I applaud him for that. But it's uh you know it's it's just an exciting time right now and i think that what you're seeing and lieutenant governor hoseman said this in the press conference this isn't luck this isn't happenstance that we're in this position it's due to a lot of hard work and it's due to a lot of sacrifice and a lot of prioritizing um for years we passed i mean i'm sure your host or your guest later on today will tell you some of the things that had happened <laughs> in the past several years that led to this yeah. uh, bills that we had passed in prior sessions that that cleared the way for some of these things to these hurdles to be removed in order for this uh project atlas to take place so it was it was hard work it was prioritizing commitments to site development and all these different things that we've done that put us in the position where we were these past two weeks to to take advantage of the opportunities that we have before us no doubt and and we should also highlight the the monumental efforts as you're well aware of local economic development oh. teams of supervisors both both in, both instances with both these projects you had a, an enormous effort by the local economic development uh, authority and the county uh, on both projects so it, it take it's a collaborative effort it's a team effort and there there's a lot of uh out of boys and out of girls to go around no doubt and i thought the uh uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and speaker of the house did uh, really well in uh, recognizing all those who played a role here, in, including, as you referenced, uh, Entergy. Uh, Absolutely, exactly on the program later. And you're so right. I do want to highlight that because it is important that our legislature has uh, has kind of cleared the boards, if you will, and eliminated a lot of the administrative um, and regulatory hurdles that allow. Entergy and others to do what they got to do to yeah. land these big projects. It's critical. It is critical, and I think that's what you know. I had a, a individual from uh, uh, up north call me the week uh, this past week when Project Atlas was going forward, and he said, "Look, we're watching." He said, "You know, if we have other folks that are interested in doing this, is this, is there an opportunity for us here?" And I said, "Absolutely," and. He, excuse me. He represents a lot of the same type players that are out there, and they're taking note. They're watching. They're seeing what's going on in Mississippi. And I think that uh, he was shocked that it lasted half a day. Uh, they were kind of uh, blown away by the fact that we got all this done in a day, and and uh, they thought the special session would last uh, a week or two. Yeah. And uh, they were kind of uh, shocked that we got it got it done so fast. But that's. That's kind of the way we do it here. We we vet it, we work on it, uh, we try to focus on it. And you know, I heard people saying, well, "Why are we doing a special session in the middle?" You know, y'all are already here, and I think 
that's to control the call to control the issues that you know sometimes these things would if they weren't in special session anybody could add any amendment to it on any project and you'd wind up getting a bridge over here yeah. and a red light over here and it just it's not <laughs> uh it, it clouds it up and so that's why the the need for a special session is to focus uh the efforts of the legislature on the singular uh project and and not let uh get run away uh no, it was, the right, it was the right approach, and, and your colleague, Senator Briggs Hobson, said the same. He explained that, yeah. the rationale for that, so uh, consistent there, no doubt about it. Uh, Big-time deal, and, and I think that we really we can't even appreciate at this point and imagine uh, the byproduct, the spinoff from this, and the complementary investments and businesses that I think will accompany both of these. Look, we're looking at a $10 billion commitment and a $1.9 billion uh, commitment between these two projects. What people aren't even talking about is the other economic development project on behalf of your uh, next guest and his company. I'll let him talk about it, but that's a huge multi-billion <laughs> dollar deal. Yeah, exactly. uh, so it's, uh, there's a lot of, lot of economic activity in Mississippi. Yep. All right, so uh, back to work in regular session. Uh, first thing I'll ask you about, we're about to go to break. We can catch it on the other yeah. side of the break. But uh, uh, the ballot initiative process, as you know, the House passed a measure last week. It's headed uh, – well, it's been transmitted to the Senate. You mm-hmm. guys will be taking that up. What? Where do you see that going at this point? I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the version of uh, what the House sent over. I, I, I heard a few people talking about it the other day, and it, it's a little different from what they sent over last year. So we'll look and see what, what the uh, – Specifics are on the bill. I think it maybe had a different threshold. It does. It also had some exclusions of what could or could not be considered. So yeah. uh, I'm sure everybody will be uh, really intent on looking at what the provisions of the, the proposed bill are. Okay. Um, all right. So we're taking a break right here. We've got Senator Josh Harkins in the Element Well studio. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about one of the favorite subjects you and I like to discuss. That's taxes. All right. <laughs> we're, yep. we're coming right back, folks. Stay with us. To Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. Love me, do I think it was, but from there it didn't take him long. Got himself a guitar, used to play every night. Now he's in a rock and roll outfit and everything's alright. Don't you know? Johnny told his mama, hey mama, I'm going away. I'm gonna hit the big time, gonna be a big star someday. Little bad company bumping us into this segment on the middays. We're live in the Element Well studio. 
And uh, we are, of course, chatting with Senator Josh Harkins. He's from Rankin County, serves as the chair of the powerful Senate Finance Committee. <laughs> All right, so, gosh, tax reform, tax reform. You and I have had a number of discussions on the air and offline as well. Mm-hmm. And had Speaker of the House Jason White on the program uh, Friday talking about it. You know the governor has indicated that full elimination of the income tax is a, is a top priority for him and you know I'm for that too but it depends on how you do it right yeah so. I, I've always I've, I've tried to be consistent in how I've I've shared my view on this how you cut taxes matter I mean the the, the world is littered with stories of, of people that have gone over and above their gotten over their skis a little bit and had to pull back and um, you know for whatever reason uh, Kansas is always the model they talk about but they don't talk about the underlying circumstances behind it yeah but the 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 action of overextending yourself is still what took place and we don't want to do that now we have we have taken a measured approach and we cut taxes 2 years ago and we eliminated the 4% bracket last year this year our overall marginal tax rate will go from 5% to 4.7 the following year will go to 4.4 and then the next year 4% and as it as it escalates uh, in a downward trajectory, we can take uh, kind of a snapshot of the economy, look and see where we are. There are other taxes that we've cut since we made that tax cut. Uh, we eliminated the uh, sales tax on software as a service. Yep. Uh, that that costs money, and you know, all these different sources of revenue that, that come into the state provide for government. And I've talked with you before about all the you know, the the agencies you would have to eliminate, everybody in the agency and their function. And I think I listed maybe ten or eleven agencies and these were not just no namers that you've never heard of. These were, you know, audit, uh, the Attorney General, Secretary of State, Department of Public Safety, Department of Health, Child Protective Services, Homestead, Military Rehab Services, and that only eliminated 1.4 billion, and it's about a little over 2.2 billion dollars that we're talking about that comes in from the uh, income tax. So how you eliminate it matters. It's not going to happen overnight. We've taken um, a series of steps to to lower it to four percent, which is the I think fifth lowest uh, as of right now. But other states are actively doing the same thing. And so we're going to have to constantly monitor our our tax policy, but it's not just individual taxes that people want relief from. It's you know you've heard people talking about the grocery tax. Problem with the grocery tax in in some people's minds is it's not a, just a dollar for dollar. It costs more than eliminating the income tax. When you when you lower it a dollar, uh, it's it's a dollar for dollar. But when you lower the the grocery tax. You also have diversions that are built into that that uh, sales tax to, that you collect that go to municipalities, that go to education, that go to Department of Public Safety, that go to all these different places that you're either going to eliminate their revenue by cutting it, or you're going to have to make them whole. So it's going to cost you a dollar, probably dollar twenty eight, dollar thirty for every dollar you cut. So uh, it's just you know how do you you know what is the consensus around? where to uh, invest those dollars that ordinarily would be coming in to, to give back. I prefer the income tax uh, more than, than the others, but how we cut that matters. And I think we're trying to take a, a strategic approach and not overextend ourselves, but also looking at what you know what is our spending. We're trying to maintain spending at a low level and, and not uh, blow budgets out because we're in this period of, 
uh, kind of this hyper economy that you know when all the federal money came in, all the activity that it's you know spurred. Well, that's not going to be coming in next year or the year after. So yeah. we're going to have to be prudent in how we spend our money, and also you know any leftover that we have or any uh, extra money, how can we give that back to the citizens? And so I think it's you know we'll take a look at uh, you know tax cuts every year. I mean they 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 get filed every year, and we're going to continue to look at it and monitor it. Well, the good news is uh, the revenues are are still fairly stable. I mean yeah. they are they're very stable. We're we're still uh, bringing in revenues that uh, I think are above sine die estimates, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. and that's in spite of the fact that we eliminated the three percent bracket and of course now we're we're um, applying a a four point seven percent, right? I think wasn't it four point seven will yeah, be the 4. 7 uh, rate this year. This, this calendar year. year. So withholdings, for example, from pay are using the four point seven percent rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and we're seeing, of course, a reduction in income taxes. I know folks on the left are pointing to that as disastrous, but we're also seeing an increase in sales taxes. Increase in sales tax, and 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 look, we, we've also uh, we haven't authorized any new bonds the last couple of years, so yeah. we're not borrowing any money right now. We're paying cash for a, a lot of the, the investments that the state is making in our infrastructure, and um, I think that's prudent. Like these two projects we just talked about. We're sticking cash into these projects instead of borrowing for them. Yeah, uh, I think one of them was four hundred and fifty million dollars. The other one was about two hundred fifty-eight or a little over two hundred sixty million dollars. So uh, some of it is going to be bonded and paid back through the fee and lieu, but uh, some of it is a, a actual appropriation that is being paid for. So we have that money here for investing back into our state. But it's also you know we're we're trying to give back to the citizens and and make sure that we're staying on top of our, our kind of our fiscal house, if you will. And I got to believe, I said this on the show last week, that uh, our uh, the financial stability and the condition of the state played a key role in landing these projects. I think when these big companies are looking at states and they see states that are struggling financially, uh, they, they get a little nervous about locating there. Well, I think they, they will they wonder whether the state can deliver on its promises. Yeah. And that's why we, we we pass a bond package to authorize the entire project, but we come back and we actually make an appropriation to pay cash for what is due now, due okay. today. And then that bond authorization is lowered by the amount of cash that we put in the project. And so hopefully what we'd like to do is to keep carrying forward and possibly pay cash for all these things and not have to borrow for it. Right. It makes the, the rate of return and the the output of the, the project better. But uh, I think that's the the luxury we have because we have maintained our fiscal house. We have done uh, pretty well prioritizing uh, what we're doing, and uh, that puts us in the position that hey, we can deliver on the promises that we're making uh, to both of these companies and to the, the the folks out there. They know that we're we're ready and we're serious. Yeah, and the good news is is that all the places where we store assets. Are, are pretty much maxed out. I mean, we got we got money our, in the bank everywhere. Yeah, our our rainy day fund is at the statutory limit, ten percent of our budget. Uh, so we're we're in a great position there. We've got cash, um, but I think one of the things that we we've got to look at is is what what can we afford to give back to our citizens yeah. in a responsible manner, yet also do the things that they expect and require out of us. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we've we've seen where we've uh, you know tried having to come back and and plus up a bunch of budgets. Uh, you know, corrections is off the top of my head. 
you know, unfortunately, that's just a part of government service that the that uh, the the public does not want to do. <laughs> yeah, government has to do that, and we have to do it at a level that keeps everybody safe and also takes care of the people that need to be in there. Yeah. And so, um, you've seen us having to invest a lot of money in in our corrections uh, to to fix some some things. So, it's just it's part of it, and it's uh, you know we're we're trying to do what we should do, and and also be uh, mindful of the the people that put the money there in the first place. No doubt, but it does look like that based on the trajectory in our history, the last three plus years, that I think we're in position maybe to take another whack at the income taxes. And I and I'd like to see you guys do something there. And and and, may, and you know, Jason White, the Speaker of the House, said something about that Friday yeah. that maybe we can kind of digest where we are and, and look at uh, uh, pulling that back some more without just one fell swoop and say yeah. eliminate. And even the, the last uh, bills we got a couple of years ago to do that, phase that in based on achieving certain revenue targets. Yeah, we had, we've had several We've had several different proposals that that kind of mixed, and you know, some had raising sales tax, some had uh, triggers. Um, I think what we settled on was a, you know, kind of a destination: take a bite at the apple, digest it, and yeah. then let's you know reassess. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're there, and, and maybe we can uh, once we settle at the four and in three years, we can look at um, reducing that even more. Uh, that would be my my hope. Yeah. Well, uh, and again, we've got all the various funds. We got a capex fund as well, right? That uh, is yeah, in pretty good shape. The capital expense fund is is left over. So at the end of the fiscal year, the monies that are left over are split fifty fifty with the rainy day fund and the capital expense fund. But when the rainy day fund is full, all that all money goes, goes to, to capital expense. That's yeah. what we've used to do all the infrastructure investment, to do all the the road and bridge projects, the. Uh, the LSBP, I mean, all these emergency road and bridge, all these things that we've stuck, uh, site development fund, yeah. uh, you know, those are, that's where we get the money to do those type of projects is from the excess revenue that's there. And, yeah. and so that's what we're, we're investing it back in the state. And we got to go, but I, I'll just leave uh, this thought as well which is we've got uh, plenty of borrowing capacity as well. We don't want to do that because oh, it costs no. money and, it, and the interest and the rates are high, high right now. That's right. I think our statutory limit may be 13 or $14 billion, yeah. and we're, like, right at 4 Really good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it, Senator. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you, Gerard. Thank yeah. you for having me. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Don't forget Haley Fasakerly with Intergy at 11. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studio, we appreciate you joining us today, and we thank uh, Senator Josh Harkins for coming in and sharing his thoughts about the big projects that uh, were announced in the last couple of weeks. Unprecedented, nearly $12 billion of capital investment, some 3,000 jobs at a very high rate of pay relative to uh, the state's 
household median household income. So really good news for the state of Mississippi. David in Oak Grove had a question about PERS. Sorry, David didn't get to this while the senator was here, but I can actually answer it. Mississippi PERS Board of Director has, Directors has 10 members and only one is elected by the people. Why are they allowed to raise the employer contribution at their own their own shouldn't be discretion. Discretion. I think that was a series, but I got it. This appears to be taxation without representation from the voters of Mississippi. Well, it's it's not actually changing taxes. It's not a direct tax, uh, David. And I have been advised that uh, by the PERS folks, and some of them may be listening, that uh, the PERS board does have some power in that regard, but that in general, they like to get the buy-in and the approval from the legislature, though my understanding is that that's not an absolute requirement. So increasing the um, – it, it's it's no different than, than uh, you know, just increasing someone's pay in accordance with the, the pay scale and, and some – adjustments made there uh, in the state of Mississippi so at, at a public sector entity. So it's kind of hard to just ascribe that as direct increase in taxation. Now, if it resulted in an increase in tax, I guess you could make that argument. Um, but it's um, – and that's why I think we have a situation where the, the PERS board really wouldn't act without – the legislature signing off on it. Those are the people, uh, their actions in that respect. Those are the people that we elect, as you point out, to represent us. So, I mean, that, that gets to be kind of a sticky, thorny subject, the taxation without representation, because y- you could you could maintain that there are a lot of actions taken by um, agencies that might result in an increase in expenses or a decrease in that. If that resulted in an increase in taxes, I guess you could argue that those actions were done w- without uh, proper representation. Heck, that happens at the federal level on a daily basis. The agency complex, the, the sprawling bureaucracy of agencies that uh, make changes that end up costing us all money guess you could argue is, is a situation where there's taxation without representation. However, they would argue, well, you elected the president, and this is done with presidential orders. So, But, you know, there may be some calls to restructure the PERS board. Uh, I don't know. That, uh, I just, and I'm not suggesting that at this point. I've got, to, I've got to investigate that further before I could make a call there. I've just heard people make that suggestion. I don't know that that's going to get any traction necessarily. We ban the export of LNG on the ceasefire tax line. That's 601-879-4395, which is a clean burning fuel, yet we export thousands of tons of coal to China to burn in their electricity generators. You know, like I said earlier, it's it's TikTok at play here. It's TikTok influencers that are driving these presidential policies. It is insane. I, I agree. It's just dumb. And I'm I'm hoping that um, this madness stops. If there's one positive thing that we would get rather immediately, 
by installing former President Trump in the White House, it would be to end this ridiculous war on fossil fuels, though I must point out, in fairness, that we are producing more oil in this country on a daily basis than we ever have before, including at the time when President Trump left office. However, I submit that had his policies continued, that figure would even be higher. Figure would even be higher. Um, it's north, just north of 13 million barrels a day. It's 12 million and change in 2020 when the former president left office. But there's no doubt that as much as anything, not so much Biden's policies is rhetoric when he just constantly beats the drum and he's so hell-bent on ending the exploration and the consumption of fossil fuels. Of course, I think that influences behavior on the part of those who who produce fossil fuels. They don't feel so good about the future of that investment, which is just backwards, honestly. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News right now. When we come back, it's Haley Fasakerly, President and CEO of Intergy Mississippi. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Back. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, we're live in the Element Well studio. Of course, we had Journey performing yesterday, Rhino, in the NFC Championship game. They were performing outside and projected during halftime inside on the Jumbotron. And uh, founding members Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane presented a 50th Journey anniversary jacket to the great Mississippian Jerry All-World Rice. <laughs> they sure did uh, out there in San Francisco. We welcome to the program now Haley Fasakerly, President and CEO of Entergy Mississippi. Thanks for coming in, Haley. Thank you, Gerard. Jar- I appreciate being here today. Thank well, you. It, it doesn't get enough attention, but uh, we wanted you to come in and talk about uh, this uh, recent announcement of Amazon Web Services coming to Madison County, Mississippi. Massive investment, uh, historic, largest single corporate CapEx investment in the history of the state. And uh, it's not lost on me just how critical uh, Entergy's commitment and willingness to step up and accommodate uh, what is going to be a significant amount of power to uh, to to operate these big hyperscale data centers, I, I know you guys have been working on this, your team, for a while. A lot right. of work in the yes. background. Yes, uh, uh, we're really excited about this. Very proud of our economic development team under Ed Gardner, who helped develop this strategy. Sure did. Uh, a few years ago, we and introduced us to AWS when we started the conversation with them just over five years ago. Yeah. And learning about their business. And what I'm excited about is just not the capital investment. But, Gerard, you can remember 20-something years ago when we were all trying to get auto industry here. And look what that has done to us. And this is the new world. This is the new industry, if you will, if you call it that, the digital technology. And so it's not the investment that it's bringing. 
but it's bringing new jobs, new opportunities for our uh, people in Mississippi, and they're going to be a long-term partner. And so uh, a lot of great stories out of this, how it happened, teamwork, uh, really proud of Madison County for stepping up and developing a site and uh, doing the efforts we did there in the state of Mississippi, uh, moving quickly and confidentially in a way where we could land this, because it was very competitive, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And so it's a great point. Uh, this essentially places us in a brand new industry uh, on this scale. You'd have to say it's a new industry that we didn't have, just like we didn't have the auto industry 20 years ago. That's right. We I get like that we kid around in the office saying we just kicked off the sweet tea high-tech corridor here uh, and, and I love it. Uh, that's right and and a lot of people woke up uh, the next day and are, are kind of shocked at this Mississippi yeah uh, you know a uh, number of years ago when we were starting to develop this strategy we were introduced to a an expert in the industry and he quickly was telling us that this couldn't happen in Mississippi so we cut him out of the team meetings from that point forward uh, good move uh, that's right and we worked with the legislature we worked with the governor's office to slowly pass various pieces of legislation to remove uh, various hurdles or to create the incentives for these investments. And I'd like to say AWS got to the point where how do you tell Mississippi no? Yeah. And speed to market was so important in this. So it's a great story to be told, and I think it demonstrates to the world what Mississippi can do to make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. So, um, obviously, the uh, the energy industry is a highly regulated energy yes. uh, industry, and uh, lots, of, uh, lots of barriers, uh, for sure, to everything from provisioning to production to consumption to billing. I mean, it, it's the right. full gambit. It is regulated. It's a regulated utility right. industry. How how are we better at that? Because I do think that your point about speed of market, I don't think we could have achieved that without having some degree of a reasonable, let's say, regulatory environment. Is that kind of how you That's see right. it, Haley? That's right. I mean, we're, we are a very heavily regulated industry. We're very involved in economic development. Um, we uh, And so we had to move in a way, and the legislation that was passed not only created incentives for AWS, but it also allowed us to move more quickly. You know, we are regulated by the Mississippi Public Service Commission. Right. They were very involved in the process. How we could accelerate uh, the, the investments we would make would take anywhere from 18 months to three years to go through the regulatory process. Okay. And that would have killed this project, yeah. and we had to speed the market. So how do you ensure that we're still following the uh, the requirements of the Public Service Commission of regulation, and we've done that? So the oversight and the rate approvals and stuff are still in place. This allowed us to move quickly enough so we can meet their time frame. Also, we're having to purchase a lot of long lead materials. The transformers that will have to go into these substations are massive. They take 16 months to build. Wow. Uh, and so we had already entered into reimbursement agreements with AWS to start buying those equipment. So had this still gone south, we were protected there, but we had to move forward. As you know personally, they already began site work. Yeah, same, same arrangement, by they, the way. That's right. Same arrangement. Same arrangement. They were, they were on the hook for all the costs. They are built the first pad for our first substation. Yeah. So they are a very aggressive company, and as we've seen uh, everywhere they go, they tend to under-promise and over-perform. Yeah. So uh, we're very excited about that. But it did accelerate that regulatory process. Okay. The other thing we bring, too, I think, as you know well, is that we have the ability to grow here. Yeah. Plenty of land. 
affordable land compared to wherever so they're looking uh, the dense they don't have the density props and they, they can come in there and then they saw a utility our sister companies for example in Louisiana and Texas serve the largest industrial sector in the world along Lake Charles and yeah. uh, and all those different areas uh, of there so we're familiar with large projects we know how to build for them and we brought those teams in that worked with this that we're going to, have to make transmission investments to serve the load uh, four substations will have to be built at these two sites. We will have to add generating capacity. What we're seeing today, unlike I thought I'd ever see today, customers are wanting renewable or clean energy. Sure. So we're delivering solar facilities that they're paying the cost of. We'll be investing in a new clean technology generating facility that uh, will be a part of this mix as well. And so it's a great opportunity to invest, bring new investments, modern investments that will improve the reliability of the commit uh, of a grid. But also, kind of what we're talking about earlier is that when you bring this type of volume in, it brings you those economy of scales that spread the cost across the kilowatt hour sold that benefit everybody. Yeah. So it's a win-win for us all. So, um, Haley, I've seen some folks out there, kind of in the public square, who've expressed concerns that this project is going to consume so much power that it may leave those that uh, are your existing customers. Um, powerless, that it would actually cause a problem for them to get the power they need for their homes and to run their businesses. How do you respond to that? I can assure you that's the last thing we're going to allow <laughs> to I happen. Felt. And that's why we're having to make these investments for the ability to serve. Uh, they will be served directly from the transmission system. So okay. customers, or most residential homes and small businesses are served from the distribution system. So okay. we'll be investing into the transmission system, building their own substations. They're that large of a user. And so that helps isolate it now, and then we'll have to build the additional capacity. The other thing I think is important to point out that helped make our area attractive to them, if you remember about a decade ago, Entergy in the western part of the state joined MISO, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. We moved into a power market that includes 15 states. So our generation has to compete in there. We have access to additional power through that right. market. so right. And that also keeps our, our rates down. So we're, we're below the national average by 25%. So that made us very attractive for investment because they are large energy users. And grid reliability is important to them. And, and so. also, where Amazon ha has uh, constructed a number of data centers, um, such as in the Herndon, Virginia area, right. it's it's a, a there's a concentration of data centers, not just Amazon, but other companies, and in that corridor between Austin and San Antonio, which is where I think they have the most, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that hasn't been the case. I mean, the the the, uh, the the power producers have been able to accommodate that. They've all made massive investments to ensure that as well. That's right. Uh, they have, and they met it there. But what you also saw in those areas, all of a sudden there was a huge concentration. That's right. And so their ability to grow even further became a challenge. Yeah. So they needed to find other areas to go to build additional uh, uh, data centers and uh, zones where they could create there. And we have an opportunity for uh, maybe even more growth there. Yeah, I think uh, that's right. And maybe diversification, too, because other uh, industries, businesses are going to be getting this attention, too, thinking, hey, this may be a state we can need to go talk to. Amazon, like most large uh, companies, is highly focused on uh, sustainability. 
Uh, did, was this part of the discussions, and yes. were you able to meet their requirements there? Yes, we started seeing this a few years ago, and in 2021, we announced a plan called EDGE, Economic Development and Green Energy, okay. where we started building solar facilities and planning. So we, as you know, the Sunflower facility we dedicated just over a year ago. And right. we have line of sight of about another 650 megawatts of solar we'll be bringing online to help serve this project, too. Wow. And discussions on more. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And and so you've got kind of a, a diverse uh, footprint of, of just sources. That's right. Well, our nuclear keeps us very clean. Don't forget about Grand Gulf. And you know, we have the license extension on that. That takes us to 2044. And we're already talking about extending that life. Uh, we'll be bringing new gas turbines on that use the latest technology of clean technology that help them make that available. Appreciate you coming in, Haley. Congratulations, thank you. And, and thanks for the efforts of uh, you and your entire team. Fantastic thank you. job. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Welcome back. We are live in the Element Well Studio. I was so hard. Simon and Garfunkel, also remade by the Bangles back in the 80s. Hazy shade of winter, though the sun is shining today. We needed that last week, didn't we? <laughs> uh, that strange uh, bright object uh, overhead in the sky. I hadn't seen it in a while. Good to see it today. And I think we're in for a few days of that, thank gosh. Gary in the Berg, why couldn't the new projects here in Mississippi be a case study in our universities and how all of this came to fruition? It was an exceptional effort by so many, and our universities should be, in all caps, required to teach just how it happened. Also, would this have happened under a Democrat-controlled Mississippi? Not a chance, as they would have wrecked it with DEI and all kinds of other stuff. That's a good point, uh, Gary, and, and again... Uh, rest assured, it was an absolute collaborative team effort, as you heard uh, Mr. Fisackerly state during the interview there. It's um, a lot of folks had a hand in this and contributed to this. I mean, up and down uh, government, local economic development, obviously energy, a lot of other folks involved, and, and uh, some with some vision a long time ago as well with respect to site selection and development. And we're also blessed to be at the crossroads of two major, major fiber backbones that traverse the state of Mississippi, east and west and north and south. And that was also a critical part of uh, winning this huge deal, as was our ability to react and respond and uh, and get information in the hands of Amazon management and decision makers and planners that the, the this uh, frustration of needing to obtain answers to key questions that just gets stuck 
in these uh, these sprawling bureaucracies without being able to just answer often simple questions. And, and Mississippi really shined in that respect, and that was noticed. And keep in mind that every day that they're not up and, run, up and running is a day they're not producing revenue. So in, in uh, this particular industry, these data centers are serving their customers, providing various cloud services, hosting workloads for their customers, and that's how they produce revenue. So these are, these are revenue-producing assets as opposed to producing a product, which is what a factory does, and then that is sold downstream to either a retailer or a distributor or sometimes directly to a customer. Think about the automobile industry. Those are, those are finished goods, products that come out of those factories that are then loaded up on trucks or train and, and uh, sent to dealers who sell those products, those being automobiles. This is a little different. This is selling services via either private connectivity or mostly through the Internet. And that's what all that fiber is going to be used for, and that's what all that IT equipment is going to be used for inside the various buildings that will be constructed on these sites. Really, really exciting stuff. Um, It would not surprise me if at the core of the services being produced here, is artificial intelligence. No doubt about it. And so I think what we'll have are IT environments that are that are tailored, architected explicitly to power artificial intelligence development, uh, data mining, storage, and then um, delivery of artificial intelligence based applications, embedded applications or are are just applications at the at the highest level. So no secret. There's not a software company out there, as you know, Rhino, that doesn't have some strategy to incorporate AI in their wares. And of course there's all sorts of new software and new IT tools that leverage the technology to produce a whole new set of services and functionality we hadn't even thought about. Just a twinkle in the eye. What's going to be necessary for lawmakers at the federal and state level is to try to thread that needle of reasonable regulations that protect society against nefarious use of artificial intelligence, but also don't impede innovation from which society will benefit. Think about nuclear power, nuclear fission. There are positive benefits of nuclear, and they're, of course, negative. So we have to protect against the negative uses while preserving the opportunity to generate, no pun intended, positive uses. So didn't ask Mr. Fasaklier about it, but wouldn't you like to see Grand Gulf expanded somewhat, Rhino? I mean, I certainly think that there are opportunities there to take more advantage of nuclear power. We seem to have a pretty good grip and handle on that, there, though there are many on the left in this country that want all that to go away. Of course, they don't want any power whatsoever, for the most part, just uh, turn the clock back a couple hundred years, best I can tell.
like these TikTokers that have apparently influenced our president to terminate the exports of LNG. What the heck is France and the EU going to do? I think they import a fair amount of what we ship to them. Turn well, it to, could also be argued that this is retaliatory against Texas. I hadn't thought about that, which is where because a lot of it is. they were in line to open up at least one new, new zone for the export of LNG. Yes, where it comes from, gets shipped. Yep, I hadn't thought about that. It's ridiculous that the government, the federal government, is essentially at war, metaphorically, with the states. That's ridiculous in my view. But that's uh, all because, as we've said so many times, uh, the Democrats in this country, they genuflect at the altars of climate change and uh, radical gender ideology and race. They're obsessed with that as well. And all of that is embedded in all of their policy making. In fact, it guides it to a great extent, which is insane. So, uh, but this border deal is is being worked on, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, I, I, again, I've heard conflicting reports from Republicans in the Senate uh, on the border deal. Senator Lankford, as we pointed out, from Oklahoma, who's been driving this deal, he seems to he's been defending it. James Lankford, uh, and there are others. Um, in the Senate who think it's a, a bad deal. And I, I've been trying to understand it. It's pretty complicated where they've got these kind of limits. If you have so many that cross over in a period of time, you shut it down. Like, why don't you just shut it down now? And, it's, and apparently it's it's got to do with those who are legitimately seeking asylum versus those who are crossing over. And they maintain... Except they never talk about port of entries when it comes to asylum seeking. That's part of the problem. That's right. Because in order to legally seek asylum, you are supposed to enter the country in a port of entry. That's right. Not just cross over the border and then you get, I guess, detained, Correct. and then they go through this process until you come back 10 years later for a trial to see if you legitimately do need asylum. You're being oppressed or persecuted in your home country. Langford says under this deal they'd shorten that down to three months. That's what he says. And it's, I guess it's because it would be expected to dramatically reduce the number. Because if you hit that threshold, you shut it down. Nobody gets in, even if they're seeking asylum. That's kind of the idea behind the deal. Seems twisted to me, honestly. But we'll certainly see where it goes. And, it, and see, here's the Democrats are smart politically. You, you can't slight them on that. If this doesn't happen, you know what? Joe Biden, and they will say, well, we had a chance to shut the border down, and the, and the Republicans voted against it. You know that's exactly what they'll say. Even though that ain't true, that's exactly what they'll say. No, you guys have been holding the thing hostage for, for funding to Ukraine, for aid to Ukraine. That's what you've been doing. Yeah, they, they play a uh, rather devious political game, no doubt about it. But there are now Democrat governors that are pushing Biden and Congress to address this this crisis at the border because they're being overwhelmed. Imagine that. It is absolutely true that the Border Patrol backs the te Texas National Guard and slams what's going on as, quote, catastrophe that Biden has unleashed on America. 
Wow, that's coming from the official union of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Organization. It's incredible. Looks like we might have ourselves a bipartisan tax deal as well. We'll dig into that a little bit on the other side of the break here. From the Element Well studio, it is Middays. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. One bourbon, one sky, one beer. I say, hey, Mr. I'm here. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. Don't forget Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews at 12.05. That's because it's Monday. Let Texas export on their own like the razor wire, says Darren in Jackson. Let's see here. I'd like to mention that the new Monster Carnival cruise ship runs on LNG and is 24% more efficient efficient than it is required to be. That's the is it the icon of the seas or something? I've seen something like that. I've seen the commercials. Wow, lots of uh, have you seen the photos and the video like showing it side by side with some of the other what were really big cruise ships? The thing is massive. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely massive. Oh, golly. Looks like the Titanic would be a lifeboat on it. (laughs) Exactly. Man, oh, man. It does look pretty cool looking at the videos, though. I mean, it's like they've thought of everything that you could cram onto a ship. It's a floating city. It totally is. I think up to 7,000 passengers and about 2,500 crews, some insane number like that. 43 restaurants, bars, and lounges, and like six water slides (laughs) Stuff like that. Really neat, uh, no doubt. You were telling me earlier about uh, trying your hand at the new free IRS cal- uh, tax calculation tool, right? Yeah, I, I saw people bickering about it online, and I decided to, to log on and just look at it. And unless you are already able to file an EZ file, you're not going to be able to use it. If you have any retirement savings, you're not going to be able to use it. If you have any investments, you're not going to be able to use it. If you have multiple incomes, you're not going to be able to use it. It's just, it's awful. Right. Uh, And it's free, though, right, as you know. So... um, You get what you paid for with it, that's for sure. Yeah. I did want to mention that there is a so-called bipartisan deal... In the works that would extend some of the uh, tax cuts and jobs acts, that's the also known as the Trump tax cuts, some of the corporate provisions in exchange for increasing the refundable child tax credit, and this is being championed by Senator Ron Wyden. 
and also GOP Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith on the House side. So essentially they're cutting a deal. Hey, Democrats, your your holy grail of child tax credits, we're going to make those more favorable. Essentially what they're doing is there's less of a phase-out as your income rises, and they're increasing the refundable portion, all refundable means is that even if you don't owe any taxes, you don't make enough to have a tax liability, you still get money. Essentially, it's welfare. I mean, it's just, here's a check, just because you have a child. And the refundable portion is presently $1,600. you got to have $2,500 of income to get anything whatsoever. So the... um, the change would push the uh, the refundable portion to $2,000 is what would happen. Meaning, even if you don't owe any taxes, and I don't mean owe oh, when you reconcile what you paid in through the year and what you calculate on your tax return. I mean, you don't have enough income to have a tax liability. Zero. Even if that's the case, you still are going to receive. That's, that's the case now. You're still going to receive money from the federal government. But the uh, the refundable amount goes from sixteen hundred to two thousand dollars, and then it, the phase out has been changed so that you get more money, um, even with higher incomes. So, for example, a, a parent with three children could qualify for forty eight hundred dollars in refundable credits with only thirteen thousand dollars of income. Think about that for a second. You make thirteen thousand dollars a year. That's less than federal minimum wage. But if you got three kids, why you got three kids making thirteen thousand dollars a year? I don't know. That's your problem to start with. You would receive forty eight hundred dollars cash payment from the federal government. Now, right now, you would have to have an income of $34,500 to receive that $4,800. So that's what's going on. And then on the, on the corporate tax side, there are some changes there to allow deductibility of interest and write-off of um, research and development credits as well. And there's something else. Oh, some capital expense provisions as well. So it's things that that uh, corporations certainly have leveraged, businesses have leveraged, that they have benefited from. Some of that has been in accordance with the original law. Some of that has been scaled back uh, just because they hit the, the time frame when the law called for reducing those uh, those tax provisions that apply to businesses. And so those are being restored, which is the good news there. But unfortunately, had to give in on the child tax credit. And you may say, okay, you just got to hold the line. But again, the reality is you don't control the Senate and you don't control the White House. So you can hold the line, in which case you get zero. So that's what happens when you got divided government. You can get sort of what you want, but not all of what you want. And that's what's going on right now. So this will be interesting. Something else that has come up as well from the federal government that uh, really does disturb me. And it, it has to do with the disclosure of um, pay history 
pay history. So the federal government is saying that employers that are federal contractors can no longer research or consider pay history or even ask for it when they're hiring people as a way to just determine the kind of pay that uh, they may offer a new employees. Now, this is for federal employees and contractors, by the way. This, to me, is socialism. I know old Thomas Greenwood always likes to talk about socialism. This is socialism. This is central planning. This is inserting government in a private matter. Now, they'll say, well, this is the requirement for being a contractor to the federal government. But, again, the goal is to, and this is a classic socialism, we're going to tell you who you're going to hire and how much you're going to pay them, how much you're going to produce and what you're going to charge for it. That is central planning economic socialism, in a nutshell. This really bothered me. I mean, it, honestly, it made me mad. Something else is going on that I'm going to talk to our lawmakers about. I meant to get to this with Senator Harkins, but I'll talk to him privately about it. The state of Vermont, Rhino, is very close to passing first-in-the-nation wealth tax. Something we talked about last week with uh, Biden once again spouting this nonsense that the billionaires in this country pay an 8% effective tax rate, which is totally wrong and false, categorically, and that's because he includes in that calculation unrealized gains. So I'd like to see the state of Mississippi not only pass a law, I'd actually like to see us amend the state constitution to prohibit a wealth tax. I think it's that destructive. So Vermont's pretty close to passing first-in-the-nation wealth tax. It would tax capital gains of, of people with more than $10 million in net worth, even if those gains have produced no income. You hadn't cashed out, hadn't sold the asset, haven't actually produced a recognizable gain. It just went up on paper. And you got to pay tax on it. I want to see the state of Mississippi amend the Constitution. I would settle for statute, but I'd really like to make it even a higher bar to change in the future and just say, we ain't doing that ever. We're not going to risk that. So, think about somebody hijacking the ballot initiative process that wants this, some leftist group. And by the way, this is being pushed, as you can imagine, by leftists in Vermont. And they come in and they get a measure on the ballot that would institute a wealth tax in the state of Mississippi. No, we ain't going there. We ain't doing that. Now, I'd hope such wouldn't pass, honestly, that they couldn't even get the signatures, but I don't want to risk it. I want to see this amendment enshrined in our Constitution that would prohibit a wealth tax. It bothers me that there's a state in this country that's even considering this. And I know California has as well. And even in left-wing loony California, they hadn't been able to get that through. looks like Bernie Sanders' home state. You know, he'll be so proud, beaming with pride. Coming right back with the final segment of Midday. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio. It's the final segment regarding immigration and the border. The Democrats are playing chess. The Republicans are playing checkers, says Robert and Brandon. Dan in Hattiesburg says, let's see how many people move out of Vermont if they pass this wealth tax. Well, you'd certainly think that everybody that would be ensnared in this new tax, that's all those with a net worth of more than $10 million. I don't know how many people... Uh, fit that requirement in uh, Vermont. Uh, yes, Thomas, you're wrong about that. You don't understand the mechanics of how the program works. You wrote a book on Medicaid expansion. You're obsessed with it, man. You're obsessed with Medicaid. And I say again, why don't you march down to the Capitol today and demand that lawmakers exit base Medicaid? It costs the state a billion dollars a year. We could save a billion dollars a year, and we would tell the federal government to keep its $6 billion, and we would tell hospitals, you ain't ever getting paid, that the 750,000 people enrolled in Medicaid, most of which are blind, disabled, pregnant women, and children, well, they all are. That's the only people that qualify today. They would no longer have, they would have access to health care, they just wouldn't be paying for it. You totally miss the idea. You talk about your experience going to your local clinic, they're no longer taking Medicaid. Yeah, I get that. A lot of, a lot of specialists in particular, as you know, Rhino, you worked in that world, they don't accept Medicaid. Hell, a lot of them don't even want Medicare, honestly. They want commercial insurance only because they get reimbursed higher. However, they will all tell you, almost universally, they'd actually rather deal with Medicare and Medicaid than they would the commercial insurers, to a great extent. I mean, I've heard that from a number of physicians, that these days commercial insurers are pushing back big time on, uh, on paying, and there's some work in the legislature right now about prior approval as well for Medicaid services and to try to change how that works. So what gets overlooked here is that these people without insurance end up in the ER, and they consume services. They get treated. They just don't pay. So who pays are those of us stiffs who are paying private insurance. We're covering it right now. That's what happens. Yeah, there's no doubt. Medicaid reimburses below commercial rates. Always has. Medicaid, Medicare, below. Although, the waiver we just got a few months ago that the governor submitted, uh, Division of Medicaid, to CMS, it does reform the payment model so that it is closer, the gap's not as great, with uh, commercial insurance. That's still better than zero. You can't compare your standard primary care clinic. When you walk in, you're going to have to figure out a way to pay. You, you, you ain't walking out without paying or, or them accepting your insurance. You may have a copay or a deductible. you got to hit the hip for and they'll file the rest for you. But in general, if you walk in and you say, I don't have any care, you know what they're going to say? You need to go to the ER. I've, I've witnessed it. Have you not? You, oh, yeah. It's exactly what they say. Sorry, we don't treat you for free here. you got to go to the ER. They'll treat you for free because federal law requires them to. Mtala, the Ronald Reagan policy that was enacted in 1986. 
So what gets missed about this discussion is not about Medicaid expansion. It's about what do we do with all the people that are consuming health care services that aren't paying for it? They're still getting treated. And there are lots of situations where women get pregnant, they become eligible for Medicaid. By the way, a stunning, staggering statistic about the state of Mississippi, 57% of the births in the state of Mississippi covered by, funded by Medicaid. 57% highest in the nation. That means every mother having a baby, 57% of them have an income that's less than 200% of the federal poverty level. They don't make a lot of money, yet they're bringing a child into the world. That's what we got to address. That's what we got to address. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, that's because Medicaid will cover them. Well, just keep this in mind. Medicaid's not paying them. It's paying the provider. They don't send a check to the mother. They send it to the provider. And it's below cost. But they can't say, sorry, I can't deliver this baby for you. Can't do that. You show up, by the way, the L and M Tala, you know what that stands for? Labor. Because that's what it says. Somebody shows up at your ER and they're in labor, we don't care if you can pay for them or not. You're going to deliver that baby and take care of that mother and the baby. That's what it says. Federal law. You just have to eat it. And the rest of us that are paying these ridiculously high insurance premiums, we're covering that. Because if we did and the hospital goes broke, hell, they're all going broke now. By the way, I saw a report, Humana, I think they may write the most Medicare Advantage policies in the country. They lost their butt. $26 billion of revenue last quarter, lost $590 million. It's not sustainable. I don't know what we're going to do. But it's not sustainable, and we're going to see more and more and more and more of this. And my fear is this will plunge us into full, all-out, government-provided Medicare for all socialized medicine. We're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.